So what are some decisions and habits you can make today that your future self will thank you for? It's a good question and one that I posed to my good friend, Drew Dick. Drew is a former managing editor of Leadership Journal and currently a senior acquisitions editor for Moody Press. Drew and I have been friends for a number of years, and we work together in some of the work we've done at Christianity Today, Leadership Journal, and in other places. Uh, Drew is an insightful uh, speaker, writer, pastor, and uh, he has a new book out that I highly recommend. I read it myself and just, just loved it. It's called Your Future Self Will Thank You. And in this book, Drew does something interesting. You know, he was looking to make some personal changes in his life in terms of habits and read a lot of the research about, you know, how we change. And he mixes and blends well biblical truth about self-control and willpower uh, and the power of the spirit to change with some scientific data in a way that I have not seen anywhere else. Drew is also very transparent in the book, so he's not coming across as an expert who's figured everything out. Drew and I are going to talk about habits, how they form us, uh, how to make changes, something called willpower bandwidth that uh, we were created in such a way that we can only make so many decisions, we can only have so much willpower at a time, and how that affects the way we think about our daily habits, but also the way we think about the way the Spirit sanctifies us. And so this, I I promise, will, will be a really interesting conversation with one of my really good friends, Drew Dick. Drew, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Like I told you, it's sunny here in Portland, which is very rare. We call it breakthrough sunshine. So we're we're just soaking it up all we can. Right. So it's is it kind of like Seattle where it mostly rains and then sometimes yeah. there's the sun? Yeah, it's pretty bad, especially in the winter. It's like this long stretch of gray and drizzle. Yeah. And once in a while, the clouds part and there's a glorious slice of sunshine and we run outside and soak it up. Yeah. I mean, Nashville can kind of be like that, like... January, February. The the thing I always tell right. myself to console myself, having come from Chicago, is you know you don't have to shovel rain. So there's <laughs> that. Um, right, Drew. You're here to talk about a lot of things, but uh, you have a really great new book that's out called "Your Future Self Will Thank You: Secrets to Self Control from the Bible and Brain Science: A Guide for Sinners, Quitters, and Procrastinators." This is a great book. I read this book a few months ago and. I feel like it was written. I feel like it was written for me because, like, so I'm surrounded. <laughs> I'm surrounded by really smart colleagues who are like have their lives seem like they're super organized. They have 65 productivity apps that help them get through the day. Like everything in their life is in like a spreadsheet box. And I, when I'm with them, I feel like I haven't done anything in my life. So when right. I read your book, I was like, "Hey, I can do this." So, well, good. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I was going to say I was thinking of you as I wrote it, but that's not true. Well, well I Actually, mean, that, that's the funny fine. thing is, <laughs> no, I think I think um, what I've discovered is a lot of people that actually have pretty good self control and are you know productive with it. People often perceive that they have a weakness in this area, and we all have room to grow, of course. But you know, from the outside, Dan, I think you're doing pretty good. So, <laughs> well, thanks. Um, but one of the things I really like about it is. I mean, there's a lot in this in this genre, productivity, self-control, self-help. I mean, I think there's like a few different kinds of these books. There's kind of self-help that is actually pretty easy to read, well-written, 
type empowerment stuff that is kind of, you know, it, it's helpful, but it not really that biblical, I would say. And right. then there's a yeah. then, then there's other stuff I feel like is in the sort of leadership genre that can be helpful, but I I mean, just me, I get bored with some of that stuff. I just feel like it's repetitive, same stuff over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like they're written toward a certain type of people who already have everything together. We hate those right. people. <laughs> and I feel like your book is written like it's written in such a way that you're 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 kind of weaving really good science in there with also really good deep biblical truth also in a way that is relatable to like you know average people like me so anyways i mean that that right. to thread that needle must have been kind of hard huh well and thank you i appreciate that cuz that's kind of what i was going for and i mean first of all the reason i was drawn to this topic it wasn't just cuz i was kind of had an academic interest in it. It was <laughs> because this is an area I struggle in myself. And so, um, and actually at first I wasn't even thinking about writing a book. I was just kind of reading um, a few books on this topic out myself. And then it kind of morphed into a book project. And I think you're right. You know, when I did read some of the secular titles, as helpful as they were on you know, discipline and willpower and um, self-control, they were great. They had some great tips, but often the emphasis was on like, okay, you want to become really powerful or you want to get rich or, you know, um, assert yourself in some way. And there was no sort of discussion of, okay, why are you doing this? Right. <laughs> and so I think as Christians, obviously that, that has to be the primary uh, concern. Why are we developing self-control? Ultimately, what is it for? Why do we want to live a disciplined life? And of course, as believers, it's got to be oriented towards God's purposes for our lives. Um, it's, it's about glorifying God. It's about loving and serving our neighbors. Um, and so, you know, I have a chapter early in the book, as you know, talking about that, because I think you've got to get that down first. And not only is it important just to reflect biblical priorities in, in your self-control uh, efforts, uh, but it also actually helps you, you know, researchers talk about the power of sanctified goals. That is, if you attach spiritual significance to goals that you have, even if they're sort of mundane uh, goals, you'll actually have greater effectiveness at reaching them. Um, because you kind of have a larger purpose for pursuing them in the first place. Mm. So that was kind of the first thing I, I felt was important to nail down. Like, you wouldn't want to become like an incredibly self-controlled type person if if you're using that self-control and discipline to do things that are evil or selfish, right? And so that that was kind of something I wanted to pin down early in the book. Yeah, I think you did that well. And you you have some really fascinating science in there too that really was helpful. I mean, one of the things that there's like, I think to me, there's like three data points that really stuck out to me. One was the first one, I think when you talk about early in the book of, you know, people that have self-control, it generally leads to a kind of a flourishing life. I'm sort of not saying Mm -hmm. it exactly right, but like the data, the data, can you, can you explain that a little bit, what that showed? Yeah, sure. So you know, one of the, the experiments that probably most people have heard of is the marshmallow experiment, right? This was a, a test done in the 1960s on preschool children, and it was pretty simple. They, they put a marshmallow or another kind of snack in front of them, and they say, you can eat the marshmallow now, or if you wait, I think it was 20 minutes, you can get two marshmallows. Um, and it's hilarious because if you read about this original study, of course, like most of the kids just jam the marshmallow into their mouth, right? They're not going to wait. Um, uh, and, and yet there were some that could kind of delay, you know, five, 10 minutes, even made it to the end. And that wasn't really the, the interesting finding. That actually came years later 
when kind of by accident, these same researchers discovered that these kids that had participated in this test had very different life outcomes, and they correlated to how long they could wait for the marshmallow. So the ones that like ate the marshmallow right away at four years old, when they were teenagers, they were like, you know, doing drugs and getting into trouble, bad grades, antisocial behavior. And the ones that could hold out for the marshmallow um, were having better life outcomes. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so that really revolutionized a lot of fields because up until then, people thought IQ was the biggest predictor of success in life, right? If you have a high IQ, things are going to go well for you. You're going to make a lot of money, have good relationships. Um, and then um, a lot of people thought self-esteem was the ticket. A lot of educators bought into that. Okay, if we can just build up kids' self-esteem, even artificially, uh, they're, they're going to thrive. But this really was like a wrecking ball. It's like, oh, wow, no, self-control is actually hugely important. And so that finding rippled through a lot of fields. So, yeah, that's just one thing uh, from a, a scientific perspective showing that even at a young age, you know, um, your levels of self-control – are highly predictive of later life outcomes. Now, for me, that's a little discouraging because it shows, okay, wow, okay, even at four years old, it's not like you have a ton of time by the time you're four to work on your self-control and discipline, right? So it almost seemed like an innate sort of thing. Um, But then I got into other research that shows, no, it's kind of like a muscle, right? The more you use it, the, the stronger it gets and your willpower can actually grow. So that was encouraging, particularly to someone like me who's pretty sure when I was four, someone would offer me that uh, marshmallow, I would have uh, jammed it down my throat and asked for another one. Yeah, you touched a little bit on the second thing that really struck me was that we have a willpower bandwidth, for lack of a better term. Yes. And yeah. that was really fascinating, really intersects with, I think, biblical teaching. And you you point that out, that you know we only have so much bandwidth with with which to exhibit self self-control. So one of the things you talk about is, you know, the Bible encourages us to resist temptation, but it also encourages us to flee. And yeah. so I was like, man, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, we can only do and I think you talked a little bit about like if you have a day where you're having to really exhibit a lot of self-control, it's easy to come home and be sort of cranky or whatever. And I was like, man, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, <laughs> right. not, not doing like beginning of the year, I'm going to have, I'm going to set 18 goals for myself. Well, you probably don't have enough self-control bandwidth to do that. Maybe have one or two or work on things one at a time. So if you could just unravel all that, cause that to me was like revolutionary to read that. Yeah. That, that was a big aha thing for me too, reading about that. So yeah, about 20 years ago, researchers discover something about willpower. And, and when I say willpower, I just mean the emotional energy to resist temptation, to do hard things. And what they found out is that it's finite. It's limited. Um, and that may sound kind of like common sense, but they, they actually did all these experiments to show that it depletes, and it depletes rather quickly. And so it, it, it's good to think of your willpower as this finite and precious commodity that you have, right? Mm. And you don't want to use it all up. And if you have used it all up, you probably want to stay out of situations that are particularly difficult or tempting for you. You know, I was talking to a group of pastors recently, and one of them talked about how he'd been in an accountability group years earlier. And one of the guys said, you know, I I fall prey to lust, and it's the weirdest thing because it always seems like it's right after I've been at a conference where I've been teaching or preaching, and then I'll come home and and I'll, I'll indulge in this lust. And one by one, they all said, yeah, I've, simil- I've experienced mm. a similar sort of trend. And I mean, I think a lot's going on there, right? But one of the things is that if you've got this limited willpower, you're at a conference, you're doing ministry, 
and you're, you're putting yourself out, you're performing, let's face it, right? It's difficult. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of willpower. Then you come back and you're kind of vulnerable to temptation. And I think, I think the enemy capitalizes on this too, because he knows you're weak and he's going to come in and kind of whisper something in your ear about how you deserve this or, you know, whatever you're discouraged. Um, and that's when you're particularly vulnerable. So yeah, understanding willpower and, and then just, you know, making sure that you're refreshed before you're going into difficult situations. Don't make decisions <laughs> when you're in that, mm-hmm. in that state. And a lot of things drain your willpower. Decision-making drains your willpower. Yeah. Resisting temptation, right? And so you're, you're right. I think that's not a surprise to us as Christians because Scripture describes us as finite, fallible creatures. And uh, uh, like you said, you know, the, the advice is flee temptation. You don't sit around. You might think you can resist it indefinitely, but you get weaker as you go. So it's important to be aware of that and to take wise precautions, uh, especially when your willpower is low. Yeah, it also made me think about a couple other things. If if you put all this together, one that's just kind of more funny, but I notice whenever I'm on a diet, I'm crankier. And it it kind of makes (laughs) sense because I'm using all my willpower here. And the kind of standard willpower that you self-control you use when you're around people to just not be a jerk all the time requires some ban- <laughs> willpower, right? So yeah. that makes sense, you know. Um, you're you're hangry. You're hangry. Yeah, right. my, wife, yeah. my wife, like the other day I was like doing the diet and she's like, you know what? I was actually trying to fast for the day and it was like nine o'clock and she's like, you're eating. You're being a jerk. You know, it's like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, the struggle's real. But for, on, a, on a deeper level, I thought of... Sometimes, you know, say early, I'm thinking for, for guys, why sometimes lust or self-control is actually harder when you get older than maybe when you're you're younger. Because like maybe when you're younger, you had a, or, or, or maybe a certain addiction or, or it doesn't even have to be lust. It could be any addiction. Right. You know, when you're single, it's all focused on that one thing. But when you get older and you, let's say you have a family and you have more responsibilities, there's more opportunities for temptation, more inputs that, you know, now you're being tested in a way that you didn't think so. So for me, I'm thinking, sometimes you think you actually have mastery over something and you might not. It's just that you're tempted in, in so many different ways that, you know, you're you're weaker. I don't know. I, I, it made no, me th- I think, think you're about that. something. Yeah, because, and here's the thing too, like, as you get older in general, your responsibilities multiply, right? I think yeah. of my life now at, at 41 years old compared to when I was 21. You know, when I was right. 21 years old, I was, I was living in some kind of studio. All I had to do is, you know, earn enough money to feed myself, basically, okay? Um, when I was, um, and I, I, I think I had like a part-time job. I was going to school half-time or something. So life was pretty easy, right? Now, I got three kids, a wife, of course, mortgage, car payments. You know, um, my time is pretty much spoken for. I work all day kids in the evening. If I'm lucky, I get like 45 minutes at night to watch something on Netflix or read a book. So yeah, and what that does is it's a lot of draws on your willpower. So Mm -hmm. if you do have a besetting sin or a bad habit, it it may be in this time of life, which is really stressful and and when you have a lot of responsibilities, that that's going to crop up again, right? Um, and it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. We don't have an excuse to, to kind of indulge these sins and go, oh, well, you know, um, I have a lot on my plate, so of course I'm going to fall in this one area. But what it, it, it should alert us to is just, okay, you need to be vigilant um, that if you have a lot going on in your life. And this is another reason why it's so important to get that rest, right? Um, yeah. To take a Sabbath, to slow down. If, if I could say, like, 
uh, you know, for years I worked Leadership Journal, brought me into contact with a lot of church leaders. And the ones that flamed out or had some moral failure, I'll tell you what, in every instance, hmm. they were going way too fast. They were just doing way too much. And we're like cars, like we're going too fast, we're going to crash. Uh, it's really that simple. And so, yeah, it's, you might think, especially when you're in ministry, right? You're like, okay, it's okay. You know, I'm killing myself, I'm working 80 hours a week, uh, but I'm burning out for Jesus, you know, and, and it's all for a good cause, for the mission. Um, but in the long run, you're going to hurt yourself. It's going to come at the expense of your family or, or some moral failure. Something's going to go wrong if you're pushing yourself too hard. Yeah, that's that's really good. And it, it reminds me of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, where he's just going hard, right. going hard, going hard, going hard. And then he just, God's reminder that we are human beings, that we're not superhuman. We have frailties. We're meant to wind down. We're meant to rest. And um, I never, <laughs> you know, it's funny. People don't often put rest and temptation in the same thing, but they're so related, are they not? Oh, totally. And that's a great example. Elijah, you know, he has this amazing victory against the prophets of Baal. And then he goes, what does he do? He goes and cries in a cave, right? It's right. like, <laughs> he was totally depleted um, and, and, and had a skewed view of reality. Oh, I'm the last one left, right? And, yeah. and we're, we're subject to that same tendency, absolutely. And no, and you're right, that, that was a big takeaway for me, too. It's like, because of your limited willpower, because you're a finite creature— um, and, and it's not a matter of, oh, if I'm just spiritual enough and I'm not subject to that, uh, this side of eternity, uh, we are subject to those things. And so we do need to be mindful of getting that rest and refreshment. When you talked about, um, the, obviously we have a self-control bandwidth that can grow as we grow, but, um, the idea, and it's, I know it's, it's so simple, but it was revolutionary to me to only do, if you, if you want to concentrate on self-control or, or building a new habit. And, and I want to talk a little bit in a little bit about the power of habit, but you want to build something to, to do one or two things at a time instead of, you know, I'm going to change in these six areas be, because again, with, with our leadership bandwidth that we can only do one thing at a time, which was revolutionary. It's like, okay, I'm going to concentrate on this in this season. And then the next season I'm going to concentrate on this, you know, whether it's a character formation or it's, it's a new discipline. Uh, but it makes me think about sometimes in scripture where, you know, the scripture writers will say, Add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue this. And we kind of read mm. those lists as like sort of, yeah, here's a list of things that we should. But I, you wonder if the stair-stepping is intentional. Like, That's interesting. First work on this, and then first work on... You, yeah. It made me think about that when I was when I was thinking about that. I don't know if that you've... you've... No, that's brilliant. I didn't think of that. That's... Real, oh, man, I wish I... It's like, you know, next edition. Okay, there you I'll go. That in there. Version I two. I love it. <laughs> and you're right. I don't know if that's sort of just kind of a form of, you know, the, the, the kind of speech that the biblical right. writers use. But yeah, you're right. There's definitely like this link, right, where that Peter talks about, like, add to your godliness this. And then it kind of goes on and on. Um, and it, and if you look at it, I think often there's a, a sort of progression to these virtues, too. It usually culminates in love, you know, which is the ultimate goal of, of uh, virtue formation, I would say. Um, so, yeah, I think you're onto something. That's, that's fascinating. And to your point about kind of the incremental approach to changing your behavior, it's so wise. And, and the problem is it's counterintuitive, right? Because say like on um, January 1st, you're doing New Year's resolutions and you're psyched, right? You're going to change in every area. This is the year you're going to read like the Bible for an hour every day and you're going to run every day and you're going to eat better. And, and, and you want to make these big sweeping changes to your life. And that's a great impulse. But the problem is you end up sabotaging yourself. Because like you said, you set like a ton of goals at once, 
you tackle like multiple core difficult behavioral changes at the same time, you've got this limited pool of willpower and it's gone in the first day. And you're always mystified as to why, like you don't even last a week, right? right. On these goals. Well, it's because you, you didn't have a chance. So it's far better to identify one area in which you want to change. And then even with that one area, be very modest and incremental when it comes to the change that you want to make. And then once, once you have some success in, in instituting just a small change, you can build on that thanks to the power of habit, which yeah, we'll, we can get into that. I think that's a big area. Yeah, you interact with that, topic. with the idea of habits yeah. and, virtu- and, and like the, the power of habits. I mean, I've, I'm a big fan of Jamie Smith's book, you know, You Are What You Love, which oh, right. is just really good. And I think you interact in there. And one of the things you talk about, which actually validated me <laughs> in, in one area, because I, I know myself and how forgetful I am. So I need verbal, I need visual cues, you know, yeah. for stuff. And for years, and not now my wife just like lets me do it, but she would get so frustrated because I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave like, this right here on the counter, because if I don't, I will forget it. Like I have to bring this to yeah. work. And if I don't, it's going to be bad. If I put it in my bag, it'll get lost in my bag and I'll never see it again. Right. Or I'm going to mm-hmm. get up in the morning and walk or work out. Like I have to have my running shoes there. Like there's a bunch of things like that for me. Like I know myself, so I have to put those things out. And I always thought, man, I'm pathetic that I need to do this. But actually it seems like a good practice, right? Have verbal cues. Right. And that's just how your brain works. Um, and so, yeah, and I think habit is a big part of this. Initially, I had some resistance to this idea because, you know, I'm into theology and I obviously believe that you know, what we believe about God and ourselves is of primary importance. But what I've experienced in my life, and this is really frustrating, you listen to a great sermon, you read a great book, you get all you know, inspired to live the Christian life, and then you find that you're just unable to translate that knowledge into actions, right? And often what's going on is you have great intentions, you know what you should do, um, and then you you default to old habits. And that's what you're running into, right? And there's been a lot written about this. Like you said, Jamie Smith talks about it from a spiritual perspective. There's uh, The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg, which is a bestseller. But just talking about like most of the, well, about half at least of the behaviors that we have are not the product of conscious thought. They're just habits things that you do, these, these automatic routines that you do unconsciously. And the beauty of this, though, is that habits take very little willpower. So if you have a good habit, like the guy who gets up and runs five miles every morning, he's not sitting there psyching himself up like, okay, I got to do this. I got I to exert this effort and get out there. It's just a habit, right? It does it automatically. And so if you can institute these kind of healthy, holy habits in your life, what that does is it actually preserves willpower. And John Ortberg has a great quote. I think it's like, Habits eat willpower for breakfast. So in other words, if you've got two people going into a situation, one guy's relying on his willpower, the other one has this habit in place that helps him do the right thing. Wow, I mean, you're going to bet on the guy who has the habit every time because habits are that powerful. So yeah, I get into that, you know, in, in the book, those, the, the cue, which is the thing that kind of prompts you to do something, the behavior, which is actual, or the routine, which is actually the behavior. And then there's a reward at the end of it. And I, I look at my behaviors kind of through a new lens after learning about habits, because like one thing, okay, so every, for like ever, I was, I was committing to read my Bible first thing in the morning. And I would like go to sleep fully intending, starting the day, reading the Bible, even for like 10 minutes, right? But then I'd wake up, first thing I'd do, reach for my nightstand where my phone was, right? And then I'd hop on Twitter or social media. 
um, which is fine, but it wasn't the way I want to start my day. Um, and so when I read about habits and the, the cues, right, I was like, oh, man, I've got a cue. And that is rolling out of bed and seeing that phone. And so what I ended up having to do is actually put the phone across the room, take my big black Bible out of retirement, plunk it on my nightstand. And so now when I wake up, I'm conditioned to consume content as soon as I, you know, uh, roll out of bed. But instead of reaching for my phone, now it's my Bible. Now, it seems like kind of like a silly life hack, but it's been it's made a huge difference in my life. Man, there's so many things we could talk about, but I just want to encourage people listening to get this book. If you're like me and you hate books about self-control and you hate books that are self-help and you hate, not hate, hate's a strong word. If you you just kind of dislike reading (laughs) all the sort of same boring old leadership books, you will love this book. This is, it's very well written. You interact with the data very well and the scriptures and like weave it together in a great way and feel like, I feel like it's possible and doable. And I think one of the strongest parts was kind of your diaries of how you went through this, you know, especially when you're talking about (laughs) fasting. And I thought that was really powerful. So I just want to encourage everyone to get this book. We'll have links on our uh, website on the show notes page. And Drew, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. It's been a fun conversation. If I can just leave you with this, because I think so often people get discouraged when it comes to this topic. I know I do. Um, because you think, man, I've got this, this old habit or a bad, you know, a sin that keeps cropping up in my life. And the, the temptation is to think that you can never really get past it. I just want to encourage you, you know, if you're, first of all, if this topic is even on your radar, if you know you need to grow your self-control, you're, you're ahead of a lot of people because a lot of people just don't even care. So that's great. And then, you know, when you look at the characters in Scripture and how they progressed you know, as they walked with Jesus and obeyed God, I think that's the most encouraging thing to me, that people really can grow. You can really change. So I just want to encourage you to keep stumbling after Jesus uh, and your self-control uh, will grow. Well, thanks, man. That's a great word to, to close with. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.